0: Jackson's a project. He's not Sam Darnold. He's not Josh Rosen. You watched them last night. He's not even close. He's not even close. Two seconds remaining. And the freshman, Yonescu.
1: Oh, yes! She did!
0: But it's, 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 it's easy to, to, to talk about. It. It's easy to sum it up when you just talk about practice. We sitting here, i supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. I mean, it, listen, we're talking about practice, not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about
1: practice. I'm right here. in more outside the bank. If you got an issue with that, come see me. I'm about that. Big trust. Two men, one Vikings fan, one Bills fan bringing you episode two of Guys Like Sports. Hi, I'm Curtis Henry. I'm here with my co-host, Michael Rose. And episode one, big success. Mike, what do you think? How are we doing over here?
0: I'm feeling pretty good. A uh, lot of lots of positive feedback, some constructive criticism, and overall, very happy with how uh,
1: episode one turned out for us. Before we get going tonight, we'd like to shout out all of the people who are a part of helping us get out to a really fast start and that includes zach hoag who is the artist behind our new cover art that you can see on spotify we have it posted on twitter instagram facebook really really happy with the end product and and really can't speak highly enough of zach you can follow him at zach hoag art on instagram and uh any thoughts there on the on the logo mike
0: yeah, I pretty much posted it and showed it to about as many people as I could stick it in front of because it was just so awesome. And so I'm really happy with how it turned out. He did a fantastic job. I, I didn't know him until two days ago, but I dropped a follow on his Instagram because uh, that was impressive work that he, he gave us. So very happy and definitely a big shout out to him
1: zach always is of the highest quality with all of his work and his uh, artistic portfolio is definitely extensive so check him out on ig also we have to shout out rim and ab they're the hosts of the rosecast podcast this is actually my favorite podcast michael it is the number one bachelor recap podcast hosted by a male interracial best friend duo and uh at their Twitter, uh, Instagram is at Rosecast Podcast. We reached out to them a couple weeks ago when this was just a nugget of an idea, and Rim was really, really receptive and really helpful with being a resource for us and getting this thing rolling. Additional shout outs to Sean McGrath, who served as a little bit of a resource as it came to platforms and a couple different things. He is the co host of Tragic 20s, spelled just like it sounds, available anywhere that you stream your podcasts and one last shout out to the stampede podcast anthony parizzo and ryan DeZillis host that they are at stampede podcast on twitter available most of the spots where you can get your podcasts and they were gracious enough to host mike on the show last week talk a little St- uh, Stefan diggs and really just uh, allow us to get ahead of the curve plug episode one the day it dropped and you know, good friends, good company. Those guys work hard with what they do over there at Stampede.
0: Yeah, great, great uh, podcast they put together and uh, probably two of the biggest Phil- Bills fans I know. So uh, they definitely do good work with Stampede podcast, give you all the ins and outs of the Bills. And uh, I was happy to go on and talk a little Stefan Diggs, former Viking wide receiver who was traded, obviously, recently for first-round picks. As the days have passed, as I told you, Chris, before we started, I'm starting to miss Stefan Diggs
1: already. So as a Bills fan, I am eternally grateful for the arrival of Stefan Diggs. We're really excited to have him in Buffalo, obviously. But I think we have a loaded, a really loaded lineup to get through here uh, because there's been a lot of big-time sports news dropping within the last 48 to 72 hours. So you ready to get through this, Michael? Let's do it. Let's get to it. Item one on the agenda, the biggest – Tight end move during the NFL offseason so far has not been Trey Burton to the Colts, but Rob Gronkowski coming out of retirement to reunite with Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. Michael, what do you got for me?
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of angles to look at this, but let's just start with obviously Gronk's decision to come out of retirement. It feels like one of those things where as you listen to him speak over the last couple of days, he didn't necessarily retire from the sport of football. He retired from Bill Belichick. At least that's what, that's what I've gathered from listening to him. And so uh, with Tom Brady moving on, he's always said he only wants to catch passes from Tom Brady. He gets his wish and he gets to do it without Bill Belichick getting in the way. So I'm sure those guys are really excited. And uh, Tampa Bay is going to be a, a definite party down there next season. I'm sure their season tickets are going to be sold out if we're allowed to have fans in stadiums. And they'll be a definite team to keep an eye on this upcoming NFL season I'm sure there will be lots of media and eyeballs surrounding them
1: for sure and Rob Gronkowski obviously one of the best to ever do it at the tight end position definitely some local personal ties we've heard rehashed this a lot over the course of his 10-year NFL career to this point but Buffalo native grew up in Williamsville Amherst area and Rob Gronkowski just suiting up in a different uniform probably number 87 down there in tampa i've heard a lot of immediate feedback saying the patriots got the shaft in this deal that that a fourth for gronk and what he brings to the table is criminal i think that's just a load of garbage and here's why as you said it rob gronkowski retired from the new england patriots he didn't retire from the sport of football. He retired from the Patriots and Bill Belichick. He was done with the Patriot way. The guy loves to have fun. I think he was done taking life too seriously. He had the three rings. He went on to the WWE, enjoyed his retirement, and he was never going to suit up for the New England Patriots again. So the Patriots, in exchange for somebody who was never going to play another snap for them, got a fourth-round pick. That is ultimate Belichick being Belichick. In my opinion, I, I, I don't know if you care to disagree, but that's that's my take on the Patriots Hall here.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, obviously, from their perspective, I mean, Gronk definitely forced their hand big time. They didn't really have a choice in moving him to Tampa Bay because otherwise they were going to be stuck with the cap bill that he would have brought to the table by coming out of retirement. And if you look at the trade that almost potentially happened to Detroit where they would have gotten, I believe, a first and a second round pick, from Detroit in exchange for Gronk and like a second round pick. It was like a, a swap second round picks or something like that. So if you look at it from that perspective, I guess you could say new England uh, kind of got screwed, but like you said, the guy was done with the Patriots. So to get a fourth round pick for basically asset that has no value to anyone else besides the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think is uh, pretty well done. Cause really the Buccaneers could have offered them up a seventh and what were the Patriots going to really do? So to get a fourth round pick out of it, I think they did pretty well you can get some good players in the fourth round of NFL draft. So uh, they could have done a lot worse. And I think they got to be pretty happy with the end result.
1: Absolutely. And in digging a little bit deeper, Gronk, he adds a presence to a tight end room that was already pretty talented. We, talk about, we talked a little bit last week about the, the Buccaneers skill position players and how this may be the most talented team that Tom Brady has ever worked with. Gronkowski's health obviously a question mark and at you know age 31 after a year off from the NFL he's not going to be 2014-2015 Gronkowski catching 1100 yards worth of balls and in 12 to 15 touchdowns he's not he's not that guy right now and I think we can agree on that but he has won three titles he's got a great rapport with Brady and he's gonna bring a lot to the table for the guys like Cameron Bray and OJ Howard. So what, what do you think of how this impacts the Bucks' skill position group as a whole?
0: Yeah, I mean, I almost want to take it from the Buccaneers as a whole. We talk about the Buccaneers. This is a really young team last year. They, they did some good building last year. They won seven games, and there's a lot of talent on this roster. You add a guy like Tom Brady or Rob Gronkowski now, that's a lot of winning that is coming into the building. And that's – I mean, you want to establish a culture of winning – bring nine Super Bowl rings into the building, uh, the culture changes pretty quickly. Just from that perspective, that completely alters the culture of this team. From a skill position standpoint, I mean, Gronk has a lot that he can teach a guy like O.J. Howard if O.J. Howard is still on the roster when things roll around, and even a guy like Cameron Braid. And overall, it just gives Braid even more weapons at his disposal. The skill guys just get better and better. And right now, they got to have the best tight end room in the league besides for maybe Cleveland with Austin Hooper and David Njoku, so Tampa Bay loading up, and really their window is now. Even though they have such a good young team, they've really kind of shrunk their window down. They are all in on this year. You know, Brady's on a two-year deal. Gronk's on a one-year deal. So you probably got a one, maybe two-year window here where they're saying, "Let's go for it. Let's try and win a Super Bowl." And you know, their coach is already retired once, and Gronk is already retired once, and Brady is. Close to retirement, obviously. So, this is a short-term move for sure, and the Buccaneers are all in to try and get a Super Bowl right now.
1: Yeah, this move definitely does not come without risk. And here's the angle I like to get it from: like Gronkowski, obviously the rapport is strong with Tom Brady, but he is a guy who has had three back surgeries, and back injuries aren't something that you mess around with, honestly. And moving forward. He is currently about 25 pounds lighter than he was at his playing weight. So we have to see how over the course of this off season, he gets back to playing shape. Is he going to come back a little bit scrawnier? Is he going to come back looking more like Jimmy Graham than Rob Gronkowski? You know, Jimmy, we've seen Jimmy Graham endure a lot of injuries and co- continue to play. And you know, he had that knee injury in Seattle where he, Really messed up his patellar tendon, and we thought that was going to be career for Jimmy Graham. And I think he's had four or five, not Jimmy Graham years of New Orleans, but respectable tight end years for fantasy footballers out there. Jimmy Graham has had you know top twelve tight end performances each of the last few years. So, what is a realistic on the field expectation for Gronk this season? Do we think we're getting 10 games out of them? Do we think we're getting maybe 13 in a playoff push out of them if they're lucky? And what are the fantasy implications of this move from your perspective?
0: I mean, I think when you look at Gronk, he's going to walk in from a fantasy perspective. He's a low end tight on one to me. Uh, he's a guy who could walk and be a top 12 production. And in a season where we're not going to have probably a lot of, you know, the OTAs, training camp might not even take place this year. Having that built-in rapport with Tom Brady is going to be huge early in the season, I think, for the Buccaneers offense as they kind of try to find a rhythm with Brady now in the fold. I think Rob Gronkowski coming in a little thinner might be good for him. I think, like you said, you kind of compare it to the Jimmy Graham thing, and I've heard a lot of former players talking on the airwaves the last few days talking about, you know, when you thin out a little bit it helps you recover a little faster. And so maybe if Gronk isn't taking up a huge blocking role like he did in the past and is just more of a primary receiver, he can play a little thinner. He can split him out wide. He's still a mismatch with his size, and we know what he's capable of doing on a field. I think he's still a guy who can catch double-digit touchdowns. In my opinion, in the red zone, he should be a big-time threat for them. So I think overall he's he's a big boost to that offense, especially though early in the season. And I think overall, playing at that thinner weight, I think you could probably get potentially, a, I don't want to say a full season of Rob Gronkowski, but I think 13 games in a playoff push, I don't think that's completely out of uh, the realm of possibilities.
1: I would have to agree. And for me, I don't see, like I alluded to earlier, I don't see 1,200 yards. I don't see 10 to 12 touchdowns. Range of outcomes is 10 or 12 touchdowns possible. Sure, the Buccaneers should be a good offense. There should be plenty of scoring to go around. And we know that touchdown luck is kind of random, more than a real indicator of, of player performance. So there was a year Carlos Williams had close to ten touchdowns in Buffalo, right? And Carlos Williams, what's he been doing lately? So touchdown luck is a whole nother discussion. But for Rob Gronkowski, I think that give me seven to eight hundred yards, five to six touchdowns this year. And really my big fantasy takeaway is that this hurts Chris Godwin. And I don't think there's a spin around that because Chris Godwin last year was the entire middle of the field for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And suddenly you add a guy like Gronk who has 10 years of service with Brady already under his belt, and he is a big threat over the middle. I think Chris Godwin, who was, I believe, wide receiver three overall last year and had over 100 catches, had over, like saying, uh, wide receiver two. uh, We can get a fact check on that. But Chris Godwin, who had a massive 2019 campaign and is only 23 years old, I think he's great in dynasty leagues. I think he's going to struggle a little bit. He takes a little bit of a hit for me and maybe falls into the wide receiver two range for redraft leagues and and year-long fantasy leagues. With the caveat, of course, that we have an NFL season. Real quick, one last note on the Gronkowski move before before we move on for the sake of time. Rob Gronkowski is a title holder in the WWE and the WWE had some uh, had an interesting message for Rob Gronkowski after he decided to come out of retirement and join the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tell us a little bit about that, Michael.
0: Yes. So Rob Gronkowski, for those who don't know at WrestleMania this year, he captured the WWE 24-7 championship, which for those of you who don't watch WWE, the quick rundown of that title is it's a title that can be defended 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All that needs to be present is two individuals and a WWE official to count a pin. So Gronkowski uh, stole it off of his WWE buddy Mojo Raleigh at WrestleMania. And so the WWE basically said to Gronk, hey, you know, uh, congrats on coming back to the NFL. And uh, be ready to defend your title. You know, there could be an end zone title defense in your future, which immediately, in my mind, for my first thought is we need to get a WWE superstar on the sideline with and ju- just pay one of the NFL officials to count, count the three count. And as an, a touchdown celebration, we need to have Gronk lose the WWE 24 7 championship. I can't
1: imagine a better way for it to go down. I agree. And there's going to be some red tape from the NFL on this one. I can't imagine a scenario in which this actually happens but it is criminal on behalf of the NFL because this would make for absolutely phenomenal television. This would be an all-time touchdown celebration. This would be better than anything we've ever seen from Terrell Owens, Chad Ochocinco. You think about Stevie Johnson, Bill's fans with the why so serious. I mean, all-time great touchdown celebrations. This would immediately jump to the top because Rob Gronkowski is absolutely the most extra person that i can recall setting foot on an nfl field and we kind of saw that at wrestlemania how just absolutely over the top this guy is so i think the nfl is doing itself a huge disservice as, it, as far as it comes to pr and overall just content from the league you know the products they're putting on the field by not allowing the 24-7 title to be defended in an nfl stadium during a football game uh, put it on the board it's not going to happen but one can dream I think and it would be great marketing I think for both companies you know
0: get eyeballs that you know there's there's some crossover from wrestling fans to football fans but you know you could maybe attract some new viewers both ways so I, I can't see a downside to it
1: absolutely not I'm sure the NFL would cite some sort of safety concern or or just general debauchery as a reason to not let this happen but that's going to be my last word on this, but we have another big story to move to. We actually have a couple more big stories to move on to the Jordan docu-series. The last dance premiered on ESPN this Sunday. We got two episodes. This is going to be a 10 part docu-series about the 97, 98 Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan and their sixth championship run. I had a lot of feelings about the first two episodes. I don't know about you, Mike, but initial reactions. What do you got for me? My initial reaction
0: is, my very first thought into my head is, how entertaining would this team have been to follow in a social media age? You had Scottie (laughs) Pippen, you know, delaying surgeries. I mean, we had the general manager of the Bulls getting booed during a ring ceremony. I mean, I don't know how you can possibly be hated to the level that you've, you're celebrating your fifth championship. You're going out to get your championship ring. You're the guy who put the roster together, and you're getting booed out of the arena. You know, we have Phil Jackson, who's a fascinating guy, Michael Jordan. You have Dennis Rodman, who's just an absolutely insane person. And, you know, part three of the documentary is going to focus on Dennis Rodman. That guy is just straight up nuts. So to see this team in an age of social media would just be fascinating, in my opinion. That was my first thought that I had when I watched this documentary.
1: I had so many thoughts and feelings, and that was definitely one of them. Especially Dennis Rodman, as he's unfolded over the past couple decades, just as a human, the holistic development there. But for me, the first initial reaction, we always talk about childhood heroes behind the scenes. And for me, I was too young to witness Jordan you know, as a child, you know, I was born in ninety-five, you were born in ninety-eight, yes. and right at the start, January first, baby Michael Rose. So we missed out on Prime Jordan. We grew up with Kobe and LeBron. So I didn't know much about Michael Jordan. So I come into this with a completely kind of objective frame of view. And my first takeaway is this guy, Michael Jordan, is kind of an asshole. We're 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 watching this and He came out publicly and said, you know, I'm going to make some people dislike me with this documentary. Well, no shit, Michael Jordan. Are you kidding me? You watch this, this docuseries, Michael Jordan in his greatness was through the first two episodes, kind of, kind of a dick to everyone. He was a dick to his brothers and he, he had such an intense focus on the game, but you watch his relationship unfold with Jerry Krause, the GM you alluded to, who put this team together. Jerry Krause, he was a short guy. He's a little heavier. Michael Jordan, and it goes beyond roasting Jerry Krause. Michael Jordan was a dick to Jerry Krause. And and uh sorry for our listeners at home. I, we try to keep it PG. I just have a lot of thoughts and feelings here. But Michael Jordan, you know, he was making fat and short jokes on camera to Jerry Krause while the Bulls were being covered for the duration of the series. And and for me, it was just, yeah, 22 years late, but definitely a bad look on Jordan's part. Another Another big takeaway was the Bulls of old being referred to as a traveling cocaine circus. And Michael Jordan just laughing about it looking into the camera and saying, yeah, we're not going to talk about it, but you know, that guy was like, Oh yeah. Some real sh was going on behind the scenes with those guys. Like this was wild. This was eighties and nineties to, to the nth degree for me. I, I don't know what your feelings are there. I'm like,
0: yeah, first, I just want to go back to Jerry Krause quickly for those of you who watch this documentary, like me, and you've never, you know, seen what Jerry Krause looks like until, till this documentary, my next first thought that I had is he looks exactly like the main villain of the movie Space Jam. So <laughs> my takeaway really is that Michael Jordan to this day just hates this guy, and Space Jam was actually based off of Jerry Krause being the main villain of, the, which is uh Mr. Swackhammer. He looks just like Mr. Swackhammer. I mean, there's there's no way around it. So Jerry it's Krause hundred percent is is Mr. Swackhammer. Um. Just going back to you know talking about this this team a little bit and just Jordan, my my other thing that I, I I don't know if you noticed this when you're watching it Curtis, every time they would cut to Jordan, his drink that he had would get a little bit lower, and every time the drink got a little bit lower, he he started to get flowing a little bit more until we were just full on Jordan just didn't didn't give a damn at all and he was just he was just letting it fly. Uh, that was that was pretty interesting. All, all you got to do is give Michael a little little alcohol in his system
1: and he he just lets it all go. I would love to sit down and have a tall glass of scotch with michael jordan let me tell you uh another takeaway i had i was really glad to see scotty pippen getting the credit he deserved And episode two largely focused around scotty pippen and here's something here's a funny anecdote start of episode two we, we were talking about they were heavily talking about Scotty Pippen being on a seven year, $18 million contract. So he was grossly underpaid. He was the 122nd highest paid player in the league. And he was the sixth highest paid player on the Bulls going into 1997. And that was criminal for a guy with the stature of Scotty Pippen. This was definitely a top, low end, top 10 player in the league at that time. So Scotty Pippen, he got a lot of the credit he deserved. And I texted Mike at the start of the second episode and this was with very limited context on the on the 90s bulls and they hadn't really gotten into how dysfunctional the bulls were at that point in the docuseries and i texted mike and i said honestly props to scotty pippen for never being a locker room cancer and within 30 minutes scotty pippen was on my television just blasting Jerry Krause a new one. He was demanding a trade. He was never gonna play for them again. And I texted Mike and I said, "LOL, never mind," <laughs> because these are things that had been lost for me in history. So it was uh, a. It was really good to see Scottie Pippen getting the credit he deserved. But I think we have to remember that without Pippen, there is no Michael Jordan. There is no goat discussion for Michael Jordan because he would not have six rings without scotty pippen
0: no doubt about it and you know another thing that i i just couldn't believe how they ended the second part of this documentary because they ended it with scotty pippen demanding a trade and they left it on like a cliffhanger and i'm just sitting here thinking to myself it happened in 1998 there's no cliffhanger here we know how it ends they win the
1: championship
0: so I just thought that was hilarious. That, that Spoiler at alert, ESPN had. listeners of the Bulls: the Bulls are going to win a sixth title at the end
1: of this thing. Don't yeah, be shocked if, when you if see. If you it. didn't know, the documentary
0: is going to end with you know all the dysfunction. They're going to win the title still. That's that's the moral of the story of how this is going to end. But I just couldn't believe that that's how they left it. But yeah, Scottie Pippen, criminally underrated, one of, one of the all-time greats of the game, and um, he definitely never got the credit he deserved. I also just do want to note though. Uh, Michael Jordan, you know, for a long time on the Bulls also was on a criminally underpaid contract until he finally just got fed up with it and started signing one year, $30 million contracts. And so that's how he finally got his money. So uh, overall, the Bulls front office did a really bad job of taking care of the best teams that they ever had. And that's probably a good indication of why the Chicago Bulls have failed to be relevant
1: since 1998. Valid. and my, my last takeaway from this was in the I will say the twenty tens, this era of basketball, a lot of fans are complaining that it's just superstars joining up with one another because free agency is a thing. So if you don't have a super team, you're not gonna win a title. And we've seen that shift a little bit. I think it started shifting when Kawhi Leonard started uh when he signed with the Clippers and it became more of a duos league rather than a super team league for the last year but the nba has always had super teams in the 90s bulls were probably the best example of that they won six titles and that's without jordan for two years that's without jordan for four years in the 90s right after 98 he, he left again so jordan won six titles in six years in the 90s when he was an active player They had Scottie Pippen. They had Dennis Rodman, who's the best rebounder of all time. They had Steve Kerr, who was amazing at shooting the three ball. And as he's proven as a coach, he's brilliant. Steve Kerr is a brilliant tactician, and he's definitely maximized the talent he has at his disposal in Golden State since he's been a coach there. And so people want to complain so much about the Warriors and adding KD. But if you go back through the history of the NBA, every era, was defined by one or two super teams whether it was the showtime lakers the 90s chicago bulls the celtics in the 60s early 70s there's always been the celtics in the team. early
0: 90s that swept jordan out of the playoffs while he was scoring 63 points in a game that was in 86 wasn't
1: it in fact, that might I mean, be correct you can fact check me. But, yeah, you know, Larry Bird uh, and that Celtics team were nasty as well. So, super teams, always been a thing in the NBA, always going to be a thing in the NBA. Do not at me uh, if you care to at me, at whose man is this 24 on Twitter. Would love to see it. Uh, anything else on the Jordan doc, Michael?
0: Yeah, I just had one, uh, one or two more final takeaways. One of them is, uh, you know, you talked about how great that Bulls team is. I would love to know what Tony Kukoc and Horace Grant did to Michael Jordan, because they are nowhere to be found in this entire documentary. And they were key components of these, you know, championship runs. And we don't see them at all other than Tony Kukoc getting cursed out by Michael Jordan at the one practice. And uh, my other takeaway is Steve Kerr has lived a basketball career about as fascinating as anyone in the history of basketball. I think he's been around Jordan's bowls. He played on that team. He was with the seven seconds or last Phoenix Suns. He now coaches, you know, this great Golden State Warriors team. I would love to sit down and just talk basketball with Steve Kerr because he's got to have a lot of fascinating stories saved up. Absolutely.
1: Are you are you ready to move on and journey into elsewhere in the world of basketball, Michael? I am always ready to talk all of the basketball. Well, under the umbrella of all of the basketball comes the news that Sabrina Ionescu was drafted number one overall in the WNBA draft this past week to the New York Liberty. And this is definitely a big story. Uh, Sabrina Ionescu, for those who don't know, she is perhaps the greatest, period, greatest college basketball player of all time, statistically at least. In her career, her career arc at Oregon, is absolutely astonishing. And what can you tell me about Sabrina Ionescu, Michael?
0: Yeah, so Sabrina Ionescu, like you said, arguably one of the greatest players in the history of college basketball. She is the only player in the history of college basketball. Note that I'm not saying women's college basketball, of college basketball with 2,000 points, 1,000 assists, and 1,000 rebounds. She holds the all-time college basketball record for most triple doubles in a career with 26, and really the only thing on her resume that is missing was a national championship, and I really thought this was the year for that Oregon Ducks team to get over the hump, and it's just truly unfortunate that they never got the opportunity, and uh, for those who don't know, you mentioned Inescu, number one pick, her teammate was the number two pick in the WNBA draft and another one of her teammates went number eight in the WNBA draft. So that should give you an idea of how good of an Oregon team this was and how capable they probably would have been of, you know, cementing her legacy as one of the all-time greats with a national championship this year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that team definitely robbed from the chance of competing for an NCAA title due to COVID-19. Unfortunately, as as many NCAA units have been robbed over the past couple of months due to the ongoing pandemic. But Ionescu, you mentioned her 26 career triple-doubles. Take a gander at who is, who is second on that list. Just take a guess. Don't Google it. No Googling, Michael. Take a guess of who, men or women, is second all-time in career triple-doubles. You're He's Googling me, it. He's I, never going no, guess. I, all right.
0: I'm just trying to think of a good guess, and my answer is I have no idea. Um, This is terrible. I can't believe you would put me on the spot like the,
1: this. The dude went to BYU. Well, it's not Jimmer for that. I know that much. Absolutely not. So, for context, the second all-time in NCAA career triple doubles is Kyle Collinsworth, and nobody I knows that guy's knew name. That. I, I didn't. I, I only knew that
0: because I've seen the name, Kyle
1: Collinsworth. He had a brief stint in the NBA with the Dallas Mavericks. Fun fact. I didn't know that. I found this dude in my pre-show notes, and he had 12 triple doubles. So he is second all time. Sabrina Ionescu has been so outstanding. She has more than twice as many triple doubles as anybody else in the history of college basketball ever ever so for me sabrina Ionescu, one of the all-time greats and for me it's kind of been criminally underreported amidst the pre-draft hype i don't know how during a time of coronavirus this story hasn't been you know so big on social media on espn but it's kind of gotten buried and i think that sabrina Ionescu deserves her props for being the first pick in this year's wnba draft her jersey sold out online in six minutes after she was picked. So Sabrina Ionescu definitely going to make a splash in the WNBA and definitely look forward to her career moving forward. And I think she's just so interesting because when you think about women's basketball, women's basketball has not progressed at the same rate as the NBA. Just, just for example, and, that, and that's from a standpoint of not financial growth or popularity. In those areas, it certainly hasn't progressed the way it should, but it hasn't progressed in the style of play. In women's basketball, it is not the positionless game that the NBA is. So when you think about the guys in the NBA right now who are fantastic at racking up stats, they are fantastic at playing multiple positions. Guys like Draymond Green, who can play three to five. Guys like LeBron James, the Russell Westbrooks of the world, who's just, you know, he's a motor. I can't believe
0: Draymond Green's the first guy you came up with. I'm I'm just a little disappointed (laughs) in that.
1: Draymond Green, when the Warriors were at their peak, prior to Kevin Durant getting there, that guy just filled the stat sheet every night. I think Draymond Green's a very bad basketball player, but that's another topic for another day. Back to Sabrina, go ahead. Roast me harder, Michael. I, I I am astounded by Sabrina Ionescu because the women's game is still pretty limiting as far as people play their positions. And she is a phenomenal guard who excels in all aspects of the game and really kind of signifies a positionless game where she can play multiple positions based on her skill set. You got any closing thoughts on Sabrina Ionescu, Mike?
0: Just, you know, to go off what you said, I think, uh, you know, women's basketball hasn't quite developed at that rate that you would look for, but I think Sabrina Ionescu is going to be the one who takes the WNBA and begins to turn it, maybe not to a, a mainstream sport, but she is going to start to evolve that game into a more modern NBA-like game, and she is going to uh, help the WNBA significantly increase ratings, revenue and uh, she's gonna be a big boost for that league overall I think she's she's a a a once-in-a-generation type of player that can really take a league to the next level
1: could not agree with you more and I think we've had this kind of hope in the past regarding certain uh, WNBA prospects the Lisa Leslie's of the world the Elena Deladons the Maya Griner's, the Brittany Griners these transformational talents They haven't quite been able to put the WNBA fully on the map, and the hope is that Sabrina Ionescu, she just has the potential to do just that. Final topic, sticking in the NFL, Lamar Jackson is Madden's 2021 cover boy. We closed it out last show with a big truss. Mike, what are your thoughts on Lamar Jackson being the successor to Patrick Mahomes on the Madden cover?
0: Well... I'll tell you what my thoughts are on that. And I'm going to start with a comparison to Patrick Mahomes here. So last season, Patrick Mahomes lost in the playoffs, but he won the MVP. He then got the cover of Madden. Their betting odds were plus 700 to win the Super Bowl. And obviously, as we know, Patrick Mahomes won the Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson lost in the playoffs, but won the MVP. Got the Madden cover. The Ravens right now, Curtis, can you guess what they are to win the Super Bowl?
1: They're plus 700, aren't they, Michael?
0: They're plus 700 to win the Super Bowl. So, will Lamar Jackson repeat what Patrick Mahomes did? That's something to keep an eye on. But I think overall, uh, Lamar Jackson is the obvious choice to put on the Madden cover. Uh, when you have a, a quarterback who takes the league by storm the way he did, I I don't think it was a tough decision for the people over there at EA. They They kind of had it put in their lap the last two years with Mahomes and Lamar. Hopefully, you know, Lamar can continue the streak of not having a Madden curse like Mr. Mahomes did and he'll have a excellent season this coming season
1: yeah you kind of alluded to what I was going to talk about which is the Madden curse the fabled Madden curse which and is not I think, real I think it's not real and I think the last three years we've kind of broken that chain I mean 2018 Tom Brady's on the cover he goes to the Super Bowl and he loses to the legend nick Foles in the super bowl but anybody who appears in a super bowl after a whole season i don't think you can label that as Madden cursed the following year 19 we got antonio brown on the cover dude got hit hard by cte but i think he still went out he had about 1300 yards 15 touchdowns in 2018 fact check me if i'm wrong that's off rip and uh patrick mahomes after his 50 touchdown season he goes out last year. He obviously had the knee injury after the Thursday night game against, I believe it was against Denver. He, he missed a couple games, but anybody who goes out and dominates in the playoffs and wins the Super Bowl, I'm sorry, you're not going to tell me that's a bad curse. Patrick Mahomes brought a team back from down 24-0 to in the playoffs and won the game. It, and won it resoundedly. I think, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Kansas City beat Houston 50, 54-31? they smoked
0: them they owned by 20 plus
1: after they were down 24 to zero so throw the madden curse out the window definitely excited to see lamar on the cover really i i just think that 2020 should with a caveat that we have an nfl season i think lamar is poised for just a monster year post mvp uh closing thoughts big truss big truss and that's pretty much our entire agenda for this the second episode of guys like sports what's our timeline looking like moving forward michael
0: well we got the third episode should be coming literally the next day as we recap the nfl draft first round and then uh hopefully we'll have the fourth episode coming at you recapping the rest of the nfl draft i got a feeling there's gonna be Lots of action during the NFL draft. I think some big trades are going to happen. Already reading reports of a potential Yannick and Gawkway trade. So I'm excited. Big things happen in the NFL. And then it's going to be interesting how we fill our content out from there because the sports world is going to be coming to a, a crashing halt with very little on the horizon after the NFL draft.
1: So definitely going to be an interesting time for us to churn out some content for our listeners. But in the time being, we have an elusive three episode week coming at our listeners. And we're both very excited about that. I think tomorrow we're going to be breaking down just about every selection that's made to some degree. And so that's why we kind of decided to split apart one of our planned episodes over the weekend and, and deliver this kind of impromptu second episode of uh, GLS so very excited for the both of us and yeah do we have any uh, any words before we wrap this up Michael the NFL draft episode is gonna be fun so make sure you tune in for that one it absolutely is and as always we're gonna wrap up we announced our Instagram presence in full today and so you should go check us out on IG we are at guys like sports as always on Twitter. We are at guys like sports underscore and coming soon. We should be merging onto other platforms. We're really excited about some things we got cooking. We're going to be looking at Apple podcasts, Google pods, and hopefully eventually we'll be available wherever you listen to your podcasts. So that about does it for me. Anything from you, Michael?
0: No, I think, I think that just about does it. And, uh, Make sure you tune in for the NFL draft episode.
1: Absolutely, NFL draft episode. It's going to be fiery. About, I, be I dropping, can already
0: tell it's going to be fiery. Should be, be dropping.
1: Oh my god, this guy he's he's really fired up. NFL draft round one pod should be coming at you in about 24 hours. For my co-host Michael Rose, I'm Curtis Henry. Reminding you to stay home, to stay safe, and to stop the spread as we navigate COVID nineteen. That does it for us. We're out.